The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another Spotify live session here on the Pride of Detroit podcast feed where we answer your Detroit Lions questions live every Saturday of the Detroit Lions offseason. This offseason is no different. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. And with me to help answer some of your Lions queries, we got our two co-hosts per usual. Let me start with the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. You can find him at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. And of course, that Eric is with a K. It's Eric Schlitt. Good morning, buddy. I am excited for this time of year because even though there's not news, we get to do uh, these types of shows and interactions and mailbags and all kinds of fun stuff where we get to really feel what the uh, fan base is interested in. Yeah, and I feel like we're at the point in the offseason where the questions start to get a little more creative, too, and we have to kind of think a little harder, um, which which is always a fun thing to do, especially when I'm not spend, spending any brain power on really anything else this time of year. <laughs> Um, and then our other co-host, and and I'd, I'd hate to bring him in second to suggest that maybe he's second fiddle to any of us, because he's not. He's our senior editor. He's our great father. Not yeah. not our personal father, but it's Ryan. Ryan Matthews. Ryan, what's up, bud? Speaking of brain power, um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I am great. I'm really glad that this is not a visual medium because my sty has progressively gotten worse. Oh no, sty um, update. But, yeah, but I, but I did get some antibiotics, so I don't. What's going on with POD lately? Like it just seems like it's like the hits keep hitting, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you when you get us out of structure, when there's not kind of the daily structure of of whether it's the the regular season yeah. or, or draft season, like there's a, there's such a structure to the off season until you hit this point, and it's just like. I'm out of uh, out of my, I'm, out of, uh, uh, I'm out of my element. There we go. Words. I love it. Hashtag Stycast. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. Let's get into it. Uh, if, if this is your first time listening, we take our live calls here on the Spotify Live app. Make sure to follow us at Pride of Detroit on your Spotify Live app, any mobile device, uh, and then join us every Saturday. And let's get into it. Michael is our first caller. Michael, welcome to the show again. Good morning, guys. How you doing, man? Doing great. 
So we're going to start calling Ryan the All Father. Is that the, his new nickname? <laughs> I, I'm down for it. I feel like we just kind of <laughs> cycled through nicknames with you, Ryan. How does All All Father sound? I, I, that's better than Godfather for sure, <laughs> and definitely better than Sackmaster. <laughs> yes, thank you, Michael. <laughs> You're welcome. So here's my real question: Looking at last season in the division. Minute, we should have swept Minnesota. They had a last-minute drive that just barely got them the win, uh, and they've gotten worse. Green Bay, we split with, and they've gotten worse with the loss of Devontae Adams. The Bears have gotten worse with Khalil Mack. Even with all of our question marks, we are at least as good as we were last year, and I would say probably better. Is there any reason why we can't go 5-1 and one in the division? Ooh, man, coming out hot with the, the Kool-Aid there. And this, I like this question, Michael, because it's kind of been a hot topic over at Pride of Detroit this week is just where the Lions stand in the division. We talked a little bit about it on the POD cast. Um, we did a poll over at Pride of Detroit, and 90, what is it, 92 or 93% of Lions fans think they're going to win at least three games in the, in the division. I think close to 50% thought they were going to win at least four. So I'm curious, what are you guys thinking about where the Lions stand in the division and how many games they're poised to win this year? Let's start with Ryan. All right, I'm glad you started with me, and I know this might be sacrilege, and I hope that we don't get in trouble, but DraftKings doesn't have the odds for this on on their <laughs> sports book, but BetMGM has the odds of the Lions to win all six divisional games is plus 5,000. Oh, boy. Um, which, which are seemingly long odds, but – the Lions to lose all six divisional games is plus 900. I feel like those should be flip-flopped. <laughs> I'm supposed to bring the Kool-Aid, right? No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so I, I guess that just goes to show, like, the Lions are still situated in, in, a, in a position where it seems like, yes, there's a lot of momentum behind them uh, nationally, but it, it still seems like the, the general public and things like that still uh, d- don't see this team as, as like, you know, one that's going to dominate the division. And I don't know what Michael's saying, like, you know, the, you know, the, the Minnesota game was, well, I mean, that kind of flips both ways though. Right. I mean, like lions won on the last play against Minnesota. Um, they also lost on the last play against Minnesota, but and, and the green Bay game, the green Bay game is one where it's like, yeah, Rogers didn't play for the second half. The lions were winning in the first half, even though Rogers was playing, but um, I, I can see like a four and two. Like a four and two doesn't seem like out of the question. It doesn't seem like doesn't seem like super. Um, you know, uh, man, I'm, Jeremy, you're rubbing off on me. I'm I, sorry, I'm my words. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like too much, right? It, yeah. it doesn't seem like too much to expect from this football team to to go four and two. And I think maybe you split with the Vikings, you split with the Packers, and you run over the Bears. Okay, that seems that seems reasonable. What, what do yeah. you think, Eric? Yeah, I think three is the floor, right? Hell yeah, um, Eric. And that's kind of strange. That's kind of strange saying because they only won three games last year. But I do think three games into the division is the floor for this team. And then we'll see where we can go from there. Um, I think getting six is hard. Uh, getting five is probably going to be hard too. But I, I'm with you, Ryan. I, I think four is reasonable because – it's a, it's so strange. Like, ever listen to Bears fans on on Twitter? Like, they pop up in my mentions every once in a while. They they are astoundingly overconfident. It is amazing to me. But um, 
I just I don't see them being a team that is scary to me, and and maybe that's just I don't know my, my optimism of of thinking that they're a lot further behind than they are, but uh, they just don't scare me that much. Uh, the Vikings, because of their offense, it's always going to be scary because offenses that can put up points are are games that can be won, especially in in the division. But um, like Brian pointed out, it was came down to virtually the last play in both of the games and it could, and it went one each way. So why not, you know, again, and so, yeah, I, I think three's the floor, uh, four's reasonable, uh, five would be a win. I'm, I'm going to come in and be the wet blanket here because I think you guys are being a little too optimistic. Like I, I agree that three is <gasps> the floor, floor of expectation. <laughs> yeah. Gasp. Um, but <laughs> But three is not, I don't think, the floor of what this team could accomplish. Like, I think this team could go back and win two more, and that's it. Because, listen, I, I know everyone's dogging on the Bears, and, and they don't look like a good team. And on paper, the Lions do look like a better team. But you got to remember, this is a division game. Division games are not guaranteed by any means. Like, the best team does not always win a division game. Like, how often do we see the Dolphins beat the Patriots? For no good reason. We all know the Patriots are the better team 99% of the time, but the Dolphins win it. And that happens in the NFC North all the time too. So I, I, I'm not just going to pencil in a sweep of the Bears. As much as I think it should happen, it, it's not guaranteed to happen. And same of really any uh, – the Lions have had a pretty good record against the Packers too. So, like, they could steal one, probably not two from the Packers. And they could steal one – like, if, if I'm – if I had to guess how this team gets to three and three in the division, it's splitting all three of the, the games, honestly, because I just don't think that we can pencil in wins in the division cleanly just because one team looks better. And it's not like the lines look great either. So, I mean, five and one, man, I'd love to be sipping the Kool-Aid that much, but I just, I just can't be right now. I don't, I don't think the lines are clearly a better team than two of these teams. I think they're clearly a better team than the bears. I think they're about the same level of the Vikings. And I think the Packers are still very much the, the leader in the pack. So three and three is, is my expectation right now. If I'm being completely uh, honest, not, not yeah. the floor, not the ceiling. Yeah. And, and I guess to, to kind of elaborate or maybe the um, kind of just like chart out, like what each of these results would, would, um, would, would put for the Lions schedule. I mean, five and one, you're talking about a, a playoff team and you're talking about sure. potentially probably winning the division. If, if the lions go five and one, cause they're out of division schedule. Like we've talked about it all off season long. Like they, they have a pretty, they have a pretty cushiony schedule. So I, I you're talking about five and one in the division. You're talking about winning the division um, and going to the playoffs four and two. I, I think you're probably still like in the playoff realm. You, you might not win the division, but like, I think that's where a lot of people's optimistic expectations are. Does that sound about right? We're talking a wild card opportunity. What I think every nine win team won um, or got in a, in a playoff spot last year. So if you're four and two in the division, yeah. what what do you have to do the rest of the way? Get five, five and six the rest of the way. Certainly doable. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, Michael. Appreciate the question, man. Good way to start things off. Thanks, guys. No problem. Uh, let's jump to our next uh, guest. Caden is on the line. Caden, how's it going, buddy? There we go. Can you hear me? Yep, there you go. 
Awesome. Sorry, I was mid bite of a bagel. <laughs> no uh, worries. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Describe the bagel. <laughs> uh, everything bagel with um, jalapeno cream cheese. Oh, okay. Spicy. It was worth the wait. Worth the wait for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just have a kind of double question um, regarding the front seven. Um, we picked up John Kaminsky on waivers. Do you guys think with the lack of pure defensive tackles on our team, besides like a lean and Brock or Brockers is technically, I guess, an end as well still. But um, do you think Kaminsky has a pretty good shot at making the roster with his, uh, with his versatility? Good question. Yeah, let's uh, let's throw it to Eric first. Uh, wh- what were kind of your thoughts when the Lions claimed him, and, and do you think he has a shot at, at making that 53? I think it's a hard road for him. I mean, he he's awfully athletic, which is surely going to help his cause. And but he's he's about 275 pounds, so that puts him in the same type of category as like your Josh Pascal's, uh, Austin Bryant, Eric Banks uh, type of player in my mind, where you're going to be primarily like a, a five technique, but can also push into the three. And I think based on what we saw in training camp, uh, I'm sorry, in a uh, in spring uh, camp, I think that's pretty much where he's going to end up living. Now, um, I don't think he's necessarily going to put on weight, uh, especially in this kind of short period of time to, to, you know, push inside on a more regular basis. I think he's going to be more of like that end who, you know, can, can flex. Um, as Caden pointed out, Brockers does have that ability to flex from like the four to the five. Uh, so does Levi. So does even Jay Sean Cornell. And so it gets to be a little bit of a crowded uh, room when you start talking about guys and where they fit uh, with Brockers, McNeil and uh, Onzerike, there's probably only room for one like defensive tackle. In my mind, that's Jay Sean Cornell. And then that the next question becomes, well, how many of those five technique guys are you going to keep? If Josh Pascal isn't ready, well, then you're going to need a guy like Bryant or Kaminsky or Banks to be able to step up because you're probably not going to have Romeo. So in my mind, what, his chances of making the roster really depend on uh, Josh Pascal's health yeah. and uh, if Romeo ends up on the pub. Yeah. I think you, you kind of stole my thunder there. Cause that's, yeah, I think Pascal's health is kind of like the, the, the entire kind of balance of, of, of his roster spot. And he was added in May. So that was before anything with, with Pascal's injury. They, they were probably just simply looking for, bodies at that point um i don't know do you have anything else to to add ryan about either your thoughts on kaminsky or or kind of the lions defensive tackle situation well i I just have maybe a um a related question uh to to ask eric because i know he's been talking about demetrius taylor quite a bit like what does it seem like demetrius taylor's path to the roster would be in college he actually played that five technique and um he started out camp at the three, but then when Penasini wasn't around, you started seeing him push inside all the way to the nose. And so he's a little bit undersized. I, was say, I which think which is pretty crazy, nose. right? Like he's like 295. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. And, and he's only like six feet tall, too. So he's kind of like a little bowling ball, kind of like a lemur is where he's like not that, you know, he's barely six one uh, or McNeil. Yeah, I guess but, he, but he's but he's not the strongest guy on the team. <laughs> no, but I but I think, look, I in my mind, they I think they were looking to rotate a nose tackle and um he's the UDFA, you know what I mean? So he's got to go where the spots are. And, and I saw, you know, they use Jay Sean Cornell there a few times as well. Um, but in my mind, I think they're just going to try Taylor at a lot of different spots. Uh, he'd have to beat Bruce Hector and Cornell to get onto the roster in my opinion, but he has some serious first step uh, quickness. And, and I like that he can has got some experience pushing inside to the nose and I think he can play all the way out at the five. So that's appealing to him or to me, but I think like he's probably more of a uh, practice squad developed type guy. Like they, uh, you know, keeping him around like they did Hector last season. All right. Appreciate the question, Kane. Uh, it's a good question. Cause I, I feel like Kaminsky has kind of gotten lost in the, in the conversation a little bit and certainly a, a, an interesting guy to keep an eye on. And, and I wouldn't say there's a, a 0% chance of making the roster, but certainly a, uh, an uphill battle for him uh, this upcoming month. All right. And with that, let's, uh, let's take our first break. When we come back more of your Lions questions here on the Spotify live app, again, every Saturday, come join us, download the app, follow pride to Detroit. We will be right back. Welcome back to our Spotify live session here on the Pride of Detroit podcast feed, where we answer your questions live on the Spotify live app. Let's uh, let's bring in our next caller. Daniel J is with us. Daniel J, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, buddy? Okay, it's the off season. <clears throat> There's no new news. I got all three of you guys. I'm going off the field. I'm coming to Detroit to see the This will be my first ever Lions game in person. I'm going to see the October 2nd game against, <clears throat> sorry guys, against Seattle. Could not be more excited since I used to live in Seattle and, uh, you know, had to, le- had to eat a lot of crap. Nice. Uh, actually, a more important game to me than uh, even the Packers. I know I'm a heretic there, but uh, <laughs> it's like a personal thing. Sure. The deal is I uh, I grew up in Grand Rapids, but I uh, I moved away after I graduated high school, and I haven't been back to Detroit since 1973. So my question – A little bit. <laughs> my question for each of you and for anybody in the chat, other than the Lions game, what are the what are the things that I got to do while I'm in Detroit? So Ooh, okay, food now. Yeah, this should be. I mean, I don't want to take up a lot of time. I want your, you know, uh, kind of those first things that come to mind. Food and drink are important, but it's not the only thing. And uh, if anybody in the chat wants to wants to chime in, I would love to. So there's the Detroit Lions culture. And then there's the Detroit culture. So I want part B today. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I want to throw it to Ryan first, because I know there are a couple places that we stand for on, on the main POD cast that we always want to just promote just because of our, we're not getting paid to be clear. And, and if, if they're listening, we'd love to get paid. 
preferably in your food. But uh, but we <laughs> yeah. we just love these places so much that I, I'm, I'm going to let you kind of lead off with that stuff. Well, I'll, I'll give one and then you give the one I, I know you want to serve up. So like mine is obviously Sweetwater, um, yeah. Sweetwater Tavern, um, Sweetwater Wings, just one flavor. There, it's, it's not like you're going to go there and you're going to have to like, oh, pick and choose. Like what kind of sauces do I want? Do I want boneless or do I want bone? Like, no, you get them one way, the Sweetwater flavor. Uh, and I mean, the only decision you have to make, and apparently it's an important one, and it, and it's one that, <laughs> that determines whether or not you're cultured or not, is is blue cheese or ranch. Um, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't make a difference to me uh, because the wings are so damn good. Usually you don't you don't need anything really with them. But uh, yeah, so Sweetwater is something that I'm big on, and then I'm sure Jeremy's going to give a a pizza recommendation, right? Um, sure. Yeah, I mean Jets is the one that we always recommend with our podcast, but if you want to go buddies, like buddies is, I guess the more classic Detroit experience one. Like that's, that's the, if you're looking for that Detroit culture, you gotta, you gotta head to a buddies. There's plenty of them all around. Um, And then what was the first one? I missed the first one. Jets. The first one. Jets. Oh yeah. Or or you mean sweet, the Sweetwater Tavern is where, is it Tavern? Yeah. Yeah. No, I got that. The other pizza. Yeah. Jets. Jets is more of a fast foodie delivery one. um, If you're you're going on a budget. But Buddy's right. is like the classic Detroit one. I would also say, um, if you're if you're looking for maybe a pregame on game day, everyone swears by Slows, and and I'm I'm with them. Like Slow Slows Barbecue, very much a a go to place. Good barbecue if you're into barbecue, and the sides sides are great. Yeah, I, I, and to to that point too though, right? Like Slows is in um, Slows is in uh, is that considered that's Cork Town, right? So, yeah. Yep. Slows is over there. I mean, not too far removed from, you know, the old Tiger Stadium. Uh, and then Sweetwater is within walking distance of Ford Field. Like it's, I mean, it's a, it's a few blocks, but yeah, it's uh, that, that's situated right downtown. I can't think, is, is there a Buddies that's in like Detroit city limits proper? I, I can't really think of one, but there's, a, like you said, there's a there's ton of them. Be. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric, what, what do you bring to the conversation here? Do you, do you want to go food? Do you want to go attractions? No, I, we'll, we'll do the alcohol, I guess. Right. Um, okay, sure. <laughs> um, I mean, look, Michigan's got a lot of great breweries. Um, and so, uh, founders is one of the best that Michigan has, and they have a restaurant that they built downtown in downtown Detroit. And so if, if you're looking for, uh, you know, a local pub, like a local brewery, like that's, that's a good one to go to. Uh, but then there's all kinds of other ones that are, have popped up, uh, as well. Like he's, we've said, um, we've said, uh, like, uh, Jolly Pumpkin has got a place down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, there, and then, uh, if you get a little bit further out of the city, there's like, um, Griffin Claw and, uh, it depends on how far North you want to go, but, uh, there's a handful of like really cool, uh, local breweries that, that put out a lot of really good stuff. And so I would definitely look into that. I think doesn't Eastern market, I know they, I know they produce, they have a brewery, but I don't know if they, if they have like a location, I haven't checked into that, but their brewer, their, their, uh, I'm sure the they products must. they put out are really good. I would think they would too. Yeah. I mean, and, and some of the stuff they put out is fantastic. And I would say Eastern Market is almost a must go yeah. in, in terms of game day. Um, that, that's where all the the tailgating happens. Um, and it's have they it's, opened that back up on tailgating? Because remember they shut it down last year. They did shut it down last year. I, I don't I think there's been a were... determination yet on this okay. year, but I, given okay, but... given how everyone has pretty much just moved on with their lives, I can't imagine that it's right. going to be open. So that's Eastern Market. Yes. Yeah, that that place is awesome. 
Like, yeah, so that was a sub, that was like a secondary question is I want to meet, you know, I want to go early and meet up with the tailgaters. So that's where you go. Yep. hundred percent. And that's, that's what a a half a mile from the stadium. Yeah. It's not that far. Um, and, and there's all kinds of different tailgating spots around there too. So like, if you know someone from social media that's going like, you know, I'm sure other people would have, um, recommendations on, on where to go as well. That, All right, I'm gonna check the chat. Well, you know, give my age bracket. Suggest one no, more, Daniel. What's that? I was gonna suggest one more. Atwater Brewery is uh, is downtown too, and that's that's Atwater another Brewery. one to check out. Yeah, Atwater Brewery is a is a good spot with a lot of uh, my personal favorites when it comes to Wango Mango and Dirty Blonde. They they got a lot of good beers. Excellent. All right, good. Well, you know my age group. I'm gonna be at the uh, I'm gonna be at the Motown Museum too. Nice. So, but, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen, thanks guys. On to the football. I know we got a lot of great questions. We always got a like a lot of great questions coming up behind me. So thanks. No problem, Daniel. Thanks for, thanks for switching things up a little bit. We always appreciate kind of the, uh, the out of normal box questions as well. We made it through that whole segment without talking about Coney dogs. True. And listen, you want to keep it that that. way? (laughs) I do. I do. I, 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 I want to stand to make the Detroit style pizza this team's tr- this state's true identity in cuisine. Not not none of this Coney dog ridiculousness. What if you put a Coney dog on a pizza though? All right, I'll shut. I'll no, shut up. I'll shut right. up. Richard is here. Richard, how's it going, buddy? Uh, doing well. How are you guys? Good. Good. So my question is, expect. Well, so when it comes to sports, I'm kind of a pessimist by nature. I've just you know, being a Detroit sports fan and Michigan fan, I've just been through so much heartbreak. So I kind of go into most things with a negative outlook. So my question to you guys is, why do you guys think Jeff Okuda makes the jump? You know, he's coming off the major injury. And prior to injury, I know it was somewhat limited. But prior to injury, he looked pretty bad. You know, he always looked a step behind. It didn't look like he was capable of covering one-on-one. I know a lot of people blame Patricia and I do too. I think he's one of the worst coaches ever, but you know, if you can't cover, you know, I can you really blame the coaches for that. And I know it's early. I know how hard cornerback is to play, but that's just kind of my concern. Why do you guys think Akuda will or is capable of making that jump? Uh, good question, Richard, because every point you made, I think, is is fair, right? We haven't seen him play well at a professional level yet. He's coming off a significant injury, and yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, and I think you could even throw on, on top, like, what, he's played nine games? So for him to come out and just change that all in, in game 10, it's a big ask, 100%. But I, I think I, I've been one of the ones leading this charge, and... My optimism is based off of two things. The first one just being Jeff Okuda, the mental the mental aspect is 100% there. And I know that's not, that's not always enough. Jared Davis is a great example of someone who has that fiery attitude, that, that insane work ethic, and it still never happened for him. There's some thinking, thinking it could happen again with Detroit, but let's stick to Okuda here. I've seen him work his tail off for, for now two and a half off seasons. I see the way his teammates talk about him. I saw the way he played in training camp last off season and the competitiveness that he had granted. He was going against a not so great lions wide receiving core. To me, 
he is just putting in so much effort and I can't just throw out all of the Ohio state tape. I just can't pretend that at the NFL level, he's completely forgotten how to do his job. I know the level of talent is higher and that's why I'm super eager to see him in, in, in this training camp because he's going to be going up against better receivers. I just, the, he was such a clean prospect coming out of college that I, I just, I don't think there's necessarily a technical flaw in his game. I think it was just kind of getting mentally right. And I don't know if Jeff Okudu has ever been more mentally right than he is right now. So that's, that's where I'm at with the optimism. But like, I also completely recognize that I'm asking a lot of Jeff Okuda to take a big jump here. I, I, I know that he is beating a lot of odds to do so. Um, so I think a, a certain amount of skepticism is, is not only healthy, but warranted here. All right. I, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. Uh, look, I, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that I'm getting frustrated at any particular person. Cause this is a, this is a common, common question, but I, I am frustrated with this question because I, I think that we've had this opportunity to see him in a different light than most people have. Okay. Sure. Most fans saw a rookie being thrown into the fire because of injury and Patricia and, and he struggled as is completely expected with a rookie. And then they didn't see him at all until game one of last year in which he played good. If you weren't watching the the television feed, because the television feed doesn't show you how he's playing. But the first time that they got a real exposure to him was when he got beat on his one play. And then he gets injured and then he's done. And so that's the fan, the typical fan exposure. Now I'm not saying, again, I'm not pointing this at Richard. I'm just in general. So that's it. That's they've seen nine and a half games or eight and a half games or, or, or whatever it was. And, and that's, and it's of course left a bad taste when that's all you see, but we have seen more. We've seen a ton more. Like he was incredible in training camp last year. Like I, if, if people saw the, the, the step that he took from his rookie year to his sophomore year, it was a pretty dramatic step forward, right? He looked very good last year. And the fact that his season was cut short and there was one play that left a sour taste in everyone's mouth is I, I totally get why people have this narrative. The thing is, is everybody who has seen him on a day-to-day basis in camp, in practice, prior to that injury – they almost all universally say the same thing. He made steps. He was improving. They expect him to come back. Like we can't all be wrong, right? Like who's the, which, which person that's seen him on a day-to-day basis thinks that he's not going to succeed. Like, honestly, like, I don't know if there is one. Right. And so I am so anxious to get him on the field and see him on the field so that people can like take a breath and realize like, He's not this bust pick that everyone anticipates that he, that he is. So I, I'm, I'm trying to like knock it over. Like it, I'm trying to knock it over animated, but like, I, I totally get the perspective at the same time. I hope people listen to the, to the people that are in the building. Right. I hope that they, that, that we are seeing that, that we are doing our best to disseminate what we are seeing on the field. And I hope that people are believing it because I know scenes believing and a lot of people haven't seen it, but I don't know how else to, to, to 
reassure people that I believe he's taking steps in the right direction because from what I've seen last year, what I've seen this year and the, in the steps forward, I, I, I'm going to pause there and then I'll just, I'll see what Ryan has to say. Well, if you should listen to people who are in the building, I don't know. You should probably go to a different podcast. Whoa, I'm joking. It's a joke, Jeremy. It's a joke. <laughs> I no, I, so much. I every, everything, everything you guys said, just double it for me. All right, cool. There's only, there's only one thing I want to add and it, and it goes back to 2019 or I'm sorry. Yeah. 20, no, 2020. Um, the Matt Patricia year, because I think beyond just like pointing at Matt Patricia and saying he sucks as a coach, like you also have to remember that was a, an incredibly hard defense for cornerbacks specifically, right? They put a lot of pressure on their outside cornerbacks in that scheme where they're playing man to man almost all the time. Darius Slay, a guy who has played pretty darn well for the Eagles since moving on struggled in Matt Patricia's defense. And I, I hate to keep going back to this because I know I've said it several times on the podcast, but one of the biggest failures of last year was getting an opportunity to see Jeff Okuda not only play, but improve as the season went on because we saw the improvement with Imani Oruari. We saw some improvements with Tracy Walker. We saw what he did with Jerry Jacobs. We saw so much improvement as the season went on with that secondary, not to, to be able to to pass that along to Jeff Okuda was was unfortunate. Now I'm I'm with Eric though. Like I I, I saw a lot of that jump happen in the off season. In the off season, in the off season, and if you can't prove it on Sundays, blah blah blah. You, all all of those sayings are hold at least a little bit basis of truth. Um, and and I, I guess let let's talk about the Achilles though, right? Because as much as we've seen Eric from last year's off season, like the Achilles certainly could throw a huge monkey wrench in all of that. And I know it seems like he's ahead of schedule. I know we, when we saw him at, at minicamp, it looked like he was ready to go, but the Lions were probably just holding him back to hold him back. But how much, like, if you, I, I don't I don't know, however you want to gauge it, how much of that is concerned that we might not get back the, the, the strides that, that we saw him make in the offseason last year? I, I, don't, I don't think you can really – put a you're not a doctor <laughs> i don't think you can really assess that right until you get pads yeah. on and you start doing like right. live drills um i i agree with you that that they're trying to hold him back a little bit but there was there wasn't a whole lot that i saw that he where he seemed to be limited right right um coaches said that he was pretty much there uh and, and that it was just getting the mental reps right he's got to get those mental reps he hasn't he hasn't seen live action in in a year almost right and so that is there's going to be a learning curve with that and yes he's going to run into obstacles like that's expected but at the same time to be where he's at physically right now it is it speaks to his work ethic and when you listen to his teammates when you listen to his coaches and and like he is still he is still in in the in my in my mind, from what I'm hearing from like the players and coaches, he is still the top corner on this team. Like he still is going to be that guy. And there, it's not a matter of like, will he get back? Most people, I mean, they see, all seem to believe that he will. It's just a matter of when are they going to really like turn him loose again? So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm overreaching because I'm trying to like over. Uh, overcorrect the narrative but um in my mind just listening to how the players talk about him he is still the leader of the sec of the of the cornerbacks 
there's one thing to add um, to what all of you guys are saying. And I know, you know, Eric, Eric kind of semi alluded to it when he said like, you know, being out there for mental reps, when it comes to the Achilles and Jeff Okuda has talked about this, it's the mental aspect of trusting your body to do the things that it once was able to do in game speed. And I think that's going to be the determining factor because uh, Jeremy, I agree. Like the, the, the Achilles is something that can throw a monkey wrench into everything. And it really sounds like we're, it, it really sounds like you and Eric and myself are, are kind of, you know, saying that Jeff Okuda is going to succeed. And the thing that's going to prevent him from succeeding is his Achilles. I, I, I don't think that that should be the only thing, but I, I think that we're all willing to bet that like, if Jeff Okuda can, can overcome the Achilles, both physically and mentally, there, there is a clear path to success for Jeff Okuda in the NFL. There That's you go. I, I think we'll leave it on that. I, th- I think we'll just leave it at that, man. Um, I, I guess we're all very, very big Jeff Okuda fans here, Richard. So um, hopefully yeah, you didn't no, take guys, any offense to our answers to, there. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. And not to interrupt, but one last thing. And I don't, just to put it out there, I don't want people to think I'm down on Jeff Okuda because I'm a Michigan fan and he's an Ohio State guy. It has nothing to do with that. I was actually – well, I'm not a huge fan of taking cornerbacks that high anyway, but I was not mad about the pick at the time. And I also, I'm one of those, I have an unpopular opinion to where as a Michigan fan, I dislike Michigan State more. So if he was a Spartan, I might have a little bias in there, but the Ohio <laughs> State thing has nothing to do with it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no problem, Richard. Thanks for the question there. Uh, I think I think Eric and Ryan secretly love talking about that anyways, even even if they say they're they're tired of answering. I think... I think they, they take a little bit of joy in it. I, I think anybody. Eric especially he I, I think Eric especially enjoys spreading the gospel. Uh, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's bring in Look, our next caller here. I, oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Get one more in there. Get one no, more no, in no, there. No, no, no. I was you. gonna say I was gonna say I might have to fight you for driving the uh, the the hype train on him, man. Because <laughs> when you when you were like I think I've been leading the charge, I was I almost interrupted you and I was like, excuse me, because like I feel like I've I've been like speaking this for like geez like nine ten months now. God, yeah. you, that was a missed opportunity. I really wanted Eric to unmute and say, the hell you are. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Next time. <laughs> All right. Uh, next caller. Let's let's bring in Harrington. Harrington HOF from the Pride of Detroit comments section all the way to the Spotify live app. Harrington, thanks for joining us, man. What's up, guys? Good to see you all. Good morning, good everyone. To, yeah, good to talk um, to you. My, my uh, question was um, – I know a lot of us have sang songs about Brad Holmes, me especially, but is there anything he's done in the last two years, preferably something relatively major, not like a small like little thing, is there anything he's done that you just did not like or didn't agree with? And uh, just a real quick dumb question, would Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes still look like th- like their names if they were switched? So, Yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, what? I feel like I've – so. There's been a couple of red flags, and I feel like I keep bringing the, the same ones up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again since it's the question that was asked. But my my two big things with Brad Holmes that have me kind of scratching my head a little bit are like I hope that doesn't come back to bite you is kind of the obsessiveness over one or two specific prospects to the point where maybe you trade up for them or you you say like I mean I don't know so. I feel like he was kind of stuck on Panay Sewell and, and Levi, right? Those were two guys that he mentioned, like, 
he was really, really in on. And then this year, you obviously trade a, a bunch to get Jameson. And then you say, like, Josh Pascal is a guy that I was going to be upset if I didn't get. And so if you put all your eggs in, in one specific guy's basket, and I'm not saying that's exactly what Brad Holmes is doing. Like, we, we know the Lions almost traded up for Jamar Chase, so it wasn't Penesul or Bust. And, you know, I, I'm sure there were other guys that the, that the Lions were circling that we, we didn't hear from the behind-the-scenes video and things like that. But he's been very aggressive in getting specific guys. And to me, that's that, that can be dangerous. You know, he's only traded down once, and it happened in late in day three. So that, to me, is, is a concern, is that maybe he's being a little too aggressive to get a specific player. Um, and then the other one, what was the other? So the other one, I guess, is maybe a little bit too much of a lean on character, but that one doesn't quite bother me when we're still kind of in the nascency of a rebuild. I understand the idea of, of favoring someone's character because you are trying to, because culture does matter. And and we've seen, we've seen it make a big difference behind the scenes. And I feel like you're starting to see a little bit of it creep over onto the field too. So they're, they're petty. They, they, at least they think, I guess they seem a little bit petty at this point in the rebuild, because to be honest, like none of the, we haven't seen the negative side of any of those things quite yet, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous to kind of put your all eggs in, in, in one basket. It's, it's dangerous to maybe trade up for a, a, an injured guy, right? Like that's, that's a risk that, that could definitely not pay off. Um, but those are kind but of just to be, but to be fair, real quick, good. that yeah, was a, that was such a great trade up that, and they got so good value that, you know, that that was when they kind of had. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. Um, and I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, I, but do you think he'll get better as he? Because he's only year two. I love Brad Hall. I think he's done a great job. I see what you're saying, but so far he seems competent. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, so. he's going to two things. He's going to learn on the job and two, his strategy is going to change as the team gets better. So I, I, I'm, that's why I'm not trying to make any sweep, sweeping conclusions about the guy. But yeah, in, if, I, if I'm searching for red flags, those are my red flags. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if the other guys have, have something that they're maybe concerned about what Brett Holmes did do or maybe something that he didn't do that they wish he would have done. I, I want to pass it to Eric, but as Corey said in the chat, before you even said it, I wanted to just compliment you on using the word nascency correctly. Thank you. My goodness. <laughs> I mean, what a what a podcast we have here. Uh, Eric, what do you uh, answer Jeremy's question? I I, I think Jeremy's uh, the, the the Jeremy's big negative about Brad Holmes is something that I view as a positive, and we've talked about this, so I don't want to go into it too much. But like, I love the this is my guy. I'm going to go get him a, approach to being a GM. Um, so I think that's going to be a fun debate that Jeremy and I have uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, and well, we'll see how it works out. And, and, and you know, I, um, but like, I, I think the biggest, you know, like errors have maybe been like some of the free agency stuff that he did last year when trying to add uh, talent. Right. Like um, the the types of uh, wide receivers that he went after the um, the trade for Trinity Benson, like he was trying a lot of different things in order to acquire some receiver talent. So I'm not sure if like he could have approached that a little bit different. Um, And I think he was leaning on his staff to come up with with uh with answers right uh 
So um, I, I think I, I kind of wish those would have been handled him a little bit better, but like, you know, again, we're kind of nitpicking here on, on, uh, on complaints about him because it's so early. Um, I'd like to see more longer term contracts come up. I understand the, the approach of doing one year contracts in order to find out where you are financially, right? Like until you have your quarterback situation settled and you know how much money you're going to have on the rest of the team. I understand taking the one year contact a contract approach to free agency, uh, but I'd like to see him get more longer term contracts in place so that you can keep, you can retain uh you know, some, some more of the, the depth that you've been working to add. So those are, I mean, again, these are minor nitpicking uh, types of complaints, but I, I think those would make me feel more confident uh, that they're in, in how he's a, 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 a building the roster. And, and to that point, Eric, like you say, like being nitpicky, right? Like you're being nitpicky about admittedly situational things, right? You know, the, the biggest yeah, contract sure. he's probably given out, right. Is, is Romeo Aquara. Like yeah. uh, Frank, that's that Frank. He gave Frank one, right? Too wasn't he? Yeah, like right yeah. off the bat, the first move he made was extending Frank Ragnow. Okay, yeah, um, all right, yeah, you're right, yeah. But, but you, I mean, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So Charles Harris resigning Tracy Walker. Um, I mean, those are your big contracts right now. You know, he's made a couple of those trades, but yeah, I it, for sure, it's it's really just. I agree with you. Totally situational and totally makes sense when you don't know exactly where you're at and you're feeling out your evaluation staff, right? Because, yeah. yeah. Yep. And and I think you brought up a really good point about like, until you get the quarterback thing figured out, like you, you probably want to do keep on, you, you want to keep your team not on stilts, but like you want to keep propping up your team with these, these, you know, short, um, not not long-term money committed deals to to keep that flexibility open and and then once maybe you strike on the quarterback then you can i mean then you're then you're in the position to start contending right and then you're in the position Mm -hmm. to start handing out these 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 bigger deals that are um that are a little bit more sizable i i i i think the 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 one thing that i want to add real quick is you know to it's kind of like the fine line that exists between how jeremy feels about you know Brad getting so fixated on a player or a prospect uh, specifically in the draft and thinking, you know, Hey, situationally that that'll probably change down the road. I, I, I think like Brad is the guy who he is. And I guess to, to Eric's point, like, I think that like, I, I don't know how much this will change. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't know how much like Brad Holmes, you know, if, the, I mean, fingers crossed, knock on wood, we're the ones leading the charge. But if the, if the lions end up making the playoffs or something crazy, if the Lions want to move up in the draft, I, I think that Brad Holmes would do that in the next draft in a heartbeat. If there's a guy that he wants and he sees, or that that he sees, like he'll he'll zero in on him and he'll go get him. Like that's just who I think Brad Holmes is. And I know people, you know, oh, this is only a second draft. Well, he's two for two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in, in like zeroing in on guys in both of these drafts. So, I, the the guy kind of is who he is. Um, but at, at least he's at least he's making those those decisions for guys at like premium positions, right? Like trading up for JMO, you know, wide receiver. I mean, we, we've talked about this all off season long, but um, I, I I I think I'm pretty I think I'm pretty firm in like Brad Holmes is who he is. I I think you're right. All right, thank you. We, we appreciate you guys for everything you do. We love POD. Thank you guys.
Thanks, Harrington. Appreciate that. And and we will take a break there. Uh, when we come back, we're going to close things up. And yes, Dan is coming. So if you're if you're holding out hope that Dan is going to be here, he'll be here. Segment three, when we come back. We are back here on the Spotify live app, answering your lines questions live for just a few more weeks now, as we are just four weeks away from the start of training camp. Uh, Let's jump back into our callers though. Let's bring in John S. John, welcome to the show. Thanks guys. Um, Now I got to sort of try to dilute my Kool-Aid here a bit. I kind of feel that maybe we're sitting pretty fragile with the the defense, kind of like what happened to the, offense last year with a couple of injuries kind of derailing us and I'm just sort of wondering is there anyone out there that you think we might like to add whether free agent or even a small trade um, at the defensive tackle linebacker or defensive back I just feel like if someone goes down is our depth deep enough on deep enough on defense that have so add, can add some stability, sort of like not happening when we lost Williams and we lost Cephas. It just seemed like our receiving core completely died last year. Um, so are there any bodies out there that you might like that might be um, some experience that would really help us? It's a good question. I, I, I kind of want to split this into two, if you don't mind. The first being where, where on defense specifically are the lines most vulnerable to injury and then second, like, I, I guess, you know, what, who out there, whether they're a free agent or, or maybe a guy that, that could be available in a trade that, that could fill them out. So let's start, let's start where, like, if, line, if the injury bug hits here, the lines are in trouble. Where, where are you guys pointing to on defense I could, at that? One thing, Jeremy, the one thing I was – with the linebackers, my concern there almost a little different. It's almost like, you know, you're talking about how good the competition was. They're going to push each other. Yeah but I just don't feel anyone's that real good top competition. Like even uh, Anzalone is like, is our experienced veteran even that top quality yet? Is there a, a body that can just raise the whole level up for that whole group? Anyway, they can, then you can continue on. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, and that's a good question too, because I mean, with, with their linebacking core, they, they can say they love it all they want and maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe Calvin Shepard is just the best type man in, in the NFL, but there's also a question of, you know, they have a bunch of young guys there. Do they want to add someone who would raise the room, but also maybe take opportunities away from someone like Derek Barnes or someone like Malcolm Rodriguez, who I think there's maybe an unreasonable amount of hype around. Um, so yeah, let me, I, Eric, I think you were about to jump in there at first. So, so I'll let you kind of have the first word here. Yeah. I think anywhere along the defensive line would be the most, the spot where I think they might not be able to recover if they had a couple of key injuries, because you're already down Romeo at defensive end. Pascal hasn't been practicing. And so you've got Hutchinson and Harris who are, are both very good starters, uh, but you don't have a lot of depth behind that. And so when you are shifting to the defense that they are, that's predicated on pass rush and aggressiveness. If you were to lose one, another edge rusher, uh, that would be pretty scary. Now, I don't necessarily think that they need to go add uh, edge rushing depth. I think they have a lot of different guys that they could turn to. But uh, if you keep losing guys that are you know near the top of the rotation, 
that that can be very challenging to overcome. Yeah, to, Eric stole my point because he's smart. Um, but I, I guess to, to add on to that, right, is the when it comes to the I, I think especially like the, the interior of the defensive line too. Like if the Lions start to run into problems there, that's really gonna that's gonna put a lot of the onus on the linebackers, right? And and I think that the Lions have gone to great lengths to try to improve their run defense because it was it was so bad a year ago that a lot of that starts up front. And I think that the the interior of the defensive line is so paper thin and is on such a razor's edge. Like if they run into problems with injuries, it, it, it's hard. I, I know a lot of people think, well, just get some big bodies and, and maybe after, you know, after cuts happen, which, which kind of goes into John's, John's question about like, you know, where, where could the, you know, where could the lions pick up, pick up players? Like, it's a lot more difficult and it's a lot more nuanced and it's, it's, it's tougher than just, you know, filling, filling the void with, with a big body up front. Um, so I, I, I'm with Eric though. Like the, the defensive line is, is the, is the one that, that scares me the most. I, I think, I, I think when you think about the linebackers, I think you make great points, John, about, um, you know, the, the, you know, Anzalone and, and, and whatnot. So, I know Jeremy's favorite linebacker is Kelvin Shepard. Um, it's just unfortunate <laughs> that he can't play. So uh, I don't know. What do you What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, no, I, I think you you guys kind of hit the nail on the head with the defensive line. So I, I think maybe we can jump off into the second part of the question, which is, okay, who? Um, which is is always a tough question to to answer right now. You look along the defensive line. I feel like we've talked about Indomik and Sue a couple times. Eddie Goldman's still out there. Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi's out there, Star Lotulele. Any, any of these guys jump out to you? Someone that, I mean, you want to re-sign Nick Williams? I already know the answer to that question. Don't answer it. Any of those guys jump out as, as someone that, that the line, I mean, I, they're they're also on a budget here, so I don't know if, they're, if they really want a guy who's going to jump in and start, right? You're just looking for a depth guy, and I don't know. Those those guys are a lot harder to find that, that are good depth Ogan Joby signed with the Steelers, right? Did he? I'm sorry. I think he did. Yeah. Um, the only the only sport tracks fault. No, that's fine. Blame it on them. <laughs> Attaboy. Um, I, I was gonna suggest on Andre Fluellen, but I, I think that he's he's probably done, right? <laughs> he's 37. Yeah. <laughs> I I think to to answer the question like honestly though like, and, and this is something we've talked about in, in previous uh, Q and As is how the Lions, um, just the, the talent that they have at the bottom of their roster, like it's difficult for them to start making cuts, right? And, and the players that the Lions will be trimming down their roster, you know, to, to 53 with, like some of those guys will probably end up on other teams. I think that that's where the Lions would probably start, you know, obviously Brad Holmes and his, you know, um, pro scouting department, they, they would they would do a, a obviously a, uh, a thorough job of examining like which players are getting cut. And I, I just have to think that it would probably be the linebacker. Like, I think that if the lions could find like a serviceable linebacker, I don't think that they would turn that down by any means, because again, like it's just a group that's predicated on competition. So if they could bring in a guy to compete, I don't think they're going to shy away from that by any means. So I, I, this is always a tough question to ask Eric, because to me, 
the the kind of players that are available, you, you have to remember every team's at 90 men right now. So the, the type of player that's available really fall into two categories. It's veterans that didn't want to do off-season workouts and are probably looking for a championship team and guys that just aren't that good. So that's both those are hard fits for the Lions who are a young team that want to develop their young talent. But is there anyone out there that, that you're circling as like, this is a guy that kind of fits the category of players the Lions are looking for still? Yeah, not really. And I think you brought it up because of a, a cap perspective is that they don't really have the room to go and try and get one of these veterans that are hanging around looking for the right spot. And I don't think there's, you know, young enough guys that are talented enough um, to, to, to break in. I, I think they're more apt to kind of wait to see how things shake out. And, and that's that's a bit of an unknown for us right now because, you know, we don't know who's going to get cut. Right. Um as far as like trading for a guy that gets even harder because we don't know exactly, you know, who might be on the trade block because of, of competition. Like we, we get so hyper-focused on the lions, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to really assess the availability of some of the other players on the, the other 32 teams, 31 teams. Eric, can I ask you a question about uh, Joe Schulbert? Is he, would he be an upgrade to any of our linebackers? He's still 28 and um, seems to be available. Would I, I don't really know. I mean, he always seemed like a bit of a grinder to me, but I don't know. Was he sort of a fit at all? Uh, well, he, I think he played with Wash, right? Um, when he was in Jacksonville, Jacksonville, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, a, he, no, he was a... only in Jacksonville for 2020. So okay, I think so... Wash was gone no, Wash... then, right? Was he still there? Yeah, Wash okay. was D coordinator then. Okay. Um. So, yeah, because he was with us last year. It would have been... Uh... 2020 he would have been that was his last that's correct yeah coordinator that's correct yeah um so you know like he looked he was he was a good balanced linebacker in cleveland but i don't know how well he did uh in jacksonville from what i can recall it wasn't exceptional um and then like you said he was in pittsburgh last year right and so um he didn't stand out to me, I guess, is what it is. He, right? he must not have to Jacksonville. He signed a five-year deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2020 and was traded for a six-round pick the next year. That's urban. You know? <laughs> okay, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> um, but, you know, he didn't last in Pittsburgh either. You know what I mean? Right. He lasted one year, and then he's still kind of a free agent. So um, I I think the, the Wisconsin guys, because, you know, he's a – former Wisconsin, most of these Wisconsin guys typically translate to systems that are more like, I, I don't want to, like he, he, he should have fit well in Pittsburgh in that kind of three, four scheme. Right. And so um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, there's nothing about him necessarily that, that tells me, I, I think that they should go out and get him. He wasn't drafted by Dorsey then, was he? Uh, 2006. Team, so uh, I don't remember if Dorsey was there or not. I, I can look it up while we're uh... okay. That's what, that's another connection I thought might have been there, but I don't. But like again, I, he was just a name that I saw there, and I thought, well, that seems odd. He seemed to be around quite a bit. Looked good in Cleveland. When I remember, I just haven't seen him the last couple of years either. So, anyway, thanks. No problem, John. Thanks for the question, man. And, and I can confirm Dorsey was the general manager the year after they drafted him. So he is with the Chiefs still. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. To our next caller, you have all been waiting with bated breath, uh, if you are just me, uh, and, and probably 
probably our other two co-hosts and maybe some of you guests. Dan is with us. Dan, welcome, buddy. Can you hear me okay? You're good. So, yeah, no pressure. No pressure at all. (laughs) Um, um, I sort of feel like the end of uh, Sources Apprentice, that former Borg lady who gets blown up by uh, Jay Baruchel and and stuff like that. Because I had had literally like two sides of notes and and, and questions and taken them away from me. Okay, let me try. (laughs) Um, I, I, I listened to the Football Outsiders and um, the past rush hour that they spent with, uh, spent with Brandon Thorne. And uh, I really like him and, and the stuff he puts out there. And, and of course, I was triggered <laughs> triggered by your tweet, Jeremy, you know, like, saying, what the hell are they talking about this? Oh, like, but they actually were. But I, I haven't heard that one with Jeff Schwartz yet. But it is interesting. But I'm all over the shop, but there was this one question I had. They talked about Green Bay having blown blocks, and it sounds a fantastic uh, uh, stat, you know, whatever, but, like, they were sixth in the league. And, and, and I was curious if you had any stats in the sort of pass rushing department that you like more than others. And my, my mate Matt was explaining how sort of sacks, you know, there's less sacks versus pop. I'll shut up and let you answer that part, but I haven't finished. I've got this back up, and it's for Chris, and I don't know if he's saying it in the, in the segments in between, just to sort of, like, you know, passively aggressive to get you to do it. But I think it's a really good idea because um, you were talking about, he was talking about the Wayback Machine and how, how you did those uh, episodes uh, in between uh, seasons before. And I, I feel like we have a, like you've got a, like a three episode or a three segment thing where you're sort of like doing the, during the Lynn, during the steel, whatever you want to call that middle part. And then picking one of those finales like that, that, that sounds like good, good pod talk, but sorry, my, none of my business, but yeah, my <laughs> My question is the backup is like, which one of those would you choose for those three segments? And, um, and uh, I think I will stop talking. Sorry. No worries, Dan. All right. So let's, let's break down the questions here. So the first one being, is there a, a defense, a pass rushing stat that you guys uh, abide by? Because I, I'm actually not that familiar with the blown blocks uh, football outsiders. A lot of their stuff is behind a paywall that I don't see. So I don't, not familiar with blown blocks, but I guess on the other side of the ball, what is what is a pass rushing stat that uh, I guess that can be a pass rushing stat too. But uh, but what is what is I guess your go to? I trust this stat more than others in terms of pass rush. Well, I think it's pressures, right? I mean, that seems to be the most um, the mo- the one stat that tends to correlate to to success the most. Uh, but even pressures is a bit subjective because depending on who you, you know, source as your information uh, for your information, um, you can get different numbers. Like, you know, football outsiders might give a different number than like PFF necessarily. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, PFF has some interesting stats, but like, I don't know, they're, they tend to get like overcomplicated with like their win rate and stuff like that. And then they don't explain like how they, arrive at these numbers. And so it's hard to tr- exactly fully understand like that as well. Um, so I don't, I, I mean, I kind of just lean on pressures from a statistical standpoint because I, I think that tends to, you, you, you know, you tend to see more uh, accuracy uh, w- with the, with that stat. It's, I don't know if there's another more specific one that you guys use. I, I think for me too, like it, it is pressures. Um, and I think that's really the delineation between, you know, people who are either box score watching, right. For sacks um, and, and put a lot, put, put too much onus and put too much emphasis and importance on, on that number versus the pressure number, which, which you talked about, Eric, as being a, you know, a, a, a much more uh, illustrative stat of how disruptive 
you know, a, a player is being, or maybe even a team is being, if you're looking at team numbers, but um, I want to point out because I love plugging other good stuff we do. Right, Jeremy, like our conversation with Nick Baumgartner mm-hmm. that we had about Aiden Hutchinson, like some of this stuff can be situational. Right. And, and I think sure. that he brought up a fantastic point about like, what's a, what's a stat that you're going to point at to, to determine whether or not Aiden Hutchinson had a successful year in year one. And he brought up a stat that was like, what, like, that's something that we never use as a determiner for, for how successful you are. But he said tackles. And I had to sit there, pause and think about it. And I was like, damn, that, that is a really good answer, you know, for, for a guy who, who is going to have the role that Aiden Hutchinson has. Like, I, I think Baumgartner said like somewhere in the neighborhood of like, if he has like 60 tackles, that's a really productive season for a guy who is, yeah, a, a lot of people had the expectations for, for that player being a disruptive pass rusher and hopefully he gets the sack numbers, but if he doesn't, well, you know, the tackle for losses and, um, you know, uh, making plays, you know, within the first couple, couple yards, um, and, and those end up in tackles that, that can be like a good stat to look at for, for a position that like Aiden is playing. Yeah, no question. And and I think you, you brought an important word into this conversation, which is context, right? Because pressures doesn't always tell the entire story, yeah. right? Because maybe a guy's role is not to pass rusher. Maybe a guy's role is to, to, you know, open up a hole for someone else to, to run through. And so there's there's a lot of ways you can kind of work your way around it. Um, one is doing pressure rate. I think PFF labels pass rushes as as true pass rushing stats, pass rushing reps sometimes when, it, when it's clear that that's what the player's job was on that. So it kind of takes away a little bit of the noise. Um, but I wanted to bring a it's, – it's not a stat per se, but it's a graphical – kind of uh, plotting of stats, two stats that I think work well in tandem. So ESPN has pass rush win rate, which is not my favorite stat, but it's it's one that usually kind of gets the best pass rushers with the highest pass rush win rate, which I think measures um, the percentage of time that a pass rusher gets a quote-unquote pressure within three seconds of the snap or something like that. But every year it seems like there's someone that graphs that alongside with another metric, which I think is important, because again, context, double team rate. If a guy's getting double teamed a lot, and his, but his, you know, his pressures are low, you kind of th- seem to think that maybe that guy's pay- playing poorly, but that's not necessarily what's, what's happening. Of right. course, the guy, the, if, if you still do have a good pressure rate, and a high double team rate, well then, you're an elite guy. You're Aaron Donald. You're Aaron Donald. <laughs> Yeah. But the reason and, and the reason why I really like this a lot and the reason why it's, it's coming forward to my brain is because I just finished an article about Charles Harris, who was maybe fourth, third or fourth in double team rate and still had an above average pass rush win rate. So that to me, like that shows, wow, Charles Harris was kind of phenomenal last year. And it also shows me, well, Aiden Hutchinson's on the team now. Well, Josh Pascal's on the team now. Well, maybe yep. he gets better interior line play this year now. What does that mean for Charles Harris in 2022? Yeah, I, and dude, I want to keep on plugging the Baumgartner podcast because what did what did he say about the package that the the Lions would it really behoove them to have as a pass rushing package? He said Aiden Hutchinson, Charles Harris, Julian Okwara. You get those three guys on the field at once. I mean, who, who are you? Who do you who get in a double team? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So 
that I think is, is kind of an interesting stat. Um, when that article drops, it'll have the charting of both those things against it. So if you want to see what that looks like, predatory.com. Um, what were the other questions? We've been no, so no, it's long. fine. It's fine. Thank you so much. I, I do have one little sneaky follow in or whatever uh, to suggest. And sorry, Eric, I saw you mute there. But um, I, it was actually uh, I, I, uh, Ryan tweeted uh, uh, asking a question about uh, our favorite player of the year. And I just totally thought of TJ. And I do. I, I thought of his TJ as well as uh, obviously <laughs> Hawkinson and stuff like that. But I. I'm curious about TJ Hawkinson's uh, season very much because it, it was he definitely had three stages as well. Like he was he he was trying to do everything and then he he was getting sort of I don't know whether it was double teamed or just schemed out of out of you know being an effective use and then obviously got injured. Do you know what I mean? But uh, I, this TJ moment I want uh, is from your TJ Ryan. So tell us something that you would like to share, even if you wouldn't like to share, and then I'll leave. Thanks. I really want that baby to sleep. <laughs> It'd be it'd be it'd be so awesome if I could get a sustained three hours of sleep in the middle of the night. And and I complain about it, but if my if my wife was listening to the podcast, which she doesn't, um, but if she was, she would probably come downstairs and stab me in the neck with a pair of scissors because she's the true hero. Like she's the one who's like like I, I make the bottle at night and she feeds him while I kinda like stay up for moral support until I pass back out. Um but yeah, TJ, my goodness. Um I think we've talked at, at length about Hawkinson though, right? Like in terms of how hopefully the rest of the offense will help take the pressure and the onus and the focus off of him. Right. Like I, I think that's the hope in, in how the Lions have accumulated some other players at specific skill positions, you know, guys who play the boundaries and stuff um, and outside the numbers that hopefully it'll open up some of the stuff in the middle for, for Hawkinson. So I can't think of how I can tie that into my child, but do you guys have anything to add? <laughs> Now, I think I think, you and I think no I want more Dan bring him back <laughs> bring him back <laughs> if you got anything to say go ahead go ahead not about Hawkinson I just wanted to put a cap on the the pass rush oh yeah thing. go for um, it I just uh, um I, I brought up pressures and I and I guess I didn't fully explain the, the the reason that I did was because that's a trait that I or that's a statistic that that the Rams uh, tend to tend to covet right and so i figure that's what holmes is going to be looking for for as well like for example if you look at like who is if you look at the rams like pass rush uh pressures totals from last year uh aaron donald had 109 uh von miller had 82 and leonard floyd had 73 all i mean our the the lions best one was 53 with with charles harris right but they had they had three guys that, that went above. But then when you look at like the pass rush pressures from the guys in college um, in the top five was uh, Will Anderson, who's going to be a top pick in this upcoming draft. Uh, Cameron Thomas, who went to the Cardinals, uh, Daniel Hardy, who went to the Rams and then James Houston was four and Ian Hutchinson was five. And so like, you can see again, like if you're, scouting guys and, and you're looking at free agents and you're looking at, 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 the, at the draft pressures is tends to be a statistic that um, Brad Holmes tends to look at, um, or at least per, it's perceived that he tends to look at that um, when assessing, uh, you know, potential roster additions. Well, there you go. All right. Let's close things out here uh, with our final caller here, Nathan C. Nathan, welcome to the show. 
Hey guys, the closer's here. <laughs> How's Dan, it going, Dan, buddy? Dan was the relief, and I'm the closer. There you go. The Jose uh, Valverde of this podcast. <laughs> All right. So I want to do a little prediction here. I know he probably hasn't been talked about too much, but I'm kind of curious to see what y'all think. So I want you to predict Jared Goff's touchdowns, interceptions, and completion rating this year. Okay. Good completion percentage or, or passer rating? Uh, completion percentage. You can do passer rating, too, if you want to. Okay. I just think yeah, those I'm... three are, are the most important, probably. Okay. Let me, let, me, let me pull up his 2021 stats so we have a, a point of reference here. Okay. So last year, Jared Goff uh, threw 19 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and had a, pass, and a completion percentage of 67.2. Pretty high completion percentage, but we also have to remember his uh, average depth of target was extremely low. So right. I think it'd be real. Yes, I think it'd be realistic to expect that to drop. And it's probably also important to point out he only played 14 of 17 games. So Ryan, I'm going to throw it to you first. Touchdowns, interceptions, completion percentage. Yeah. So that to that point too, though, right? Like Jeremy, the his completion percentage was the highest of his career um, at yeah. 67.2. Um, I think that that is ho- hopefully that regresses. And I know that sounds strange and, and weird, but like, hopefully that number takes a little bit of a dip because you look at the best years of, of Goff's career. Um, and it, it was situated at, at a good, good, you know, good ticket, like 64.9 or, or 62.9. Um, and, th- and those were some good numbers, but, um, I, I think that maybe like somewhere in like the 64 to 65, um, for, for completion percentage, uh, I'm really hoping that the touchdown numbers jump up. Like I, I'm hoping that the lions are more, and, and this goes to like what Ben Johnson was talking about, right? Like in the red zone, um, you know, being able to run the ball better because what, what did Ben Johnson talk about? Like, didn't, didn't he mention something about like uh, their, their inability to run the football as soon as they got to 20, the 20, right? Yeah. So right when they got into the red zone, like their inability to, to run the football, hopefully the lions can run the football a little bit better. And that opens up the, the ability to, to maybe sneak in some plays there to, to throw the ball. And, you know, maybe, maybe that was a product of not having guys on the outside and TJ Hawkinson, you know, once you get to that area of the field, things are so about the middle of the field than they are about the outsides. Um, especially because if you have a quarterback like golf, you know, um, in terms of making those throws, uh, you have to be pretty elite. And I, I'm hoping the touchdown number gets up to around like 25, 26. Um, and I'm hoping the interceptions stay sub 10. Like if it stays sub 10, I think that he's in a pretty good spot to have a successful season. Cause again, I think that this team really does want to run the football and whether or not that results in more touchdowns on the ground. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I'd be happy with somewhere like 64 to 65% completion percentage, 24, 25 touchdowns, and, and keep the interceptions below 10. That seems reasonable expectations. Not not anything crazy like the people expecting 40 touchdowns and, and 5,000 yards Isn't and all that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we could dare to dream. Uh, yeah, you, you, can, you can dare to dream, but you can also dare to be an idiot. <laughs> Dang. Spoken as a father. Let's let's hope that's not exactly what Eric was about to say. Eric, what do you think? No, I mean statistically, that was pretty close to what I was going to say. Oh, oh, <laughs> forty touchdowns. No, I, 
No, no, no. What you? What oh. Ryan's oh, assistant? Okay. Okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> look at look at Jeremy trying to pit us against one another. No, no, no. I was I was saying I agree with the like sixty five percent, four thousand yards, twenty five touchdowns. Keep it at nine interceptions if you can. Under ten's ideal. Like that seems realistic. That seems like it would put them on the path to um, be in most games. And and so yeah, I I yeah I think what Ryan's Ryan's assessment was was pretty much where I was. I, I think okay, it's but... kind of I think it's kind of tough. Real quick, like the touchdown numbers are so like I I, I feel like those are touching situationally go predicated. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, but, for a team that wants to run the ball, for sure. But I, I want to talk about the interception numbers because I think both of you kind of hedged a little bit in saying like, ideally you uh, wanted under I, ten. Yeah, ideally you okay, but where is it? At, where is it going to be? Because that's been a big problem with him, right? Like eh. the, the three. It, I mean, it has. He had 29 I mean, in his two previous years before coming to Detroit. Let, let's be realistic. It's it's the fumbles that are a bigger issue than the interceptions. Exactly. The interceptions are livable. The fumbles hurt because they both he, they hurt equally. Got to hold on to the football, man. Right, but I'm saying his his fumble numbers are above average, where his interception numbers are more closer to average from what you would expect. And you also expect that those interception numbers to go up a little bit if he's pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. So, exactly. like, I, I I don't care the interception numbers. I'm not as concerned about, but he he's he's got to get those little hands, uh, get some stick them on <laughs> and hold on to that ball, man. So so how about how about this? How about instead of saying just like an interception number, and it's hard to say because I. I Pro football focus probably charts this better, but like even on pro football references page, like it says fumbles, but it's not necessarily fumbles lost. But in in 2018, Jared Goff had 12 fumbles, which led the league. Right. Um, but then also, I mean, you take into account the, the the interceptions that he threw in 2018, and that's 12. So I mean, you total those up together, and you're and you're looking at 24 potential turnovers. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's a lot when you're only throwing. Um, I think he, he only had 20, he only had 30, I mean, he had 32 touchdowns, but like, it's about that ratio, right? Like, I, I think the, the touchdowns to interceptions or touchdowns to turnovers needs to be in like a, a good spot. I don't know, Jeremy, you're, you're so critical. Why don't you throw out some numbers? Tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess the thing I would throw out is just like fumbles is largely a responsibility of the offensive line, in my opinion. Like, obviously you want your quarterback to hold on the ball when he gets hit, but if he's getting hit a lot, he's going to fumble a lot. That, especially if it's happening from the blind side. And, and I'm not saying that's what happened every single time with Jared Goff last year. I mean, he also gets credit for the fumble of the the snap that goes off his groin when he's going up to the line to, to call a different play against Chicago, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. You have more, in my opinion, a quarterback has more control over his interception numbers. And he's had an interception problem. I would say he even had one last year. Not as, not as bad as, as the previous years, but bad enough where it's bad. Um, but but you mean like the the situation in which he threw those interceptions, right? Like sure, like like the the Los An- the Rams game comes to mind, for sure. Like no trying question. to fit that ball in a tight window to TJ, and it, it I mean it effectively ends the game. I I can't. The thing is like his interceptions weren't the Stafford arm punts, right? Yeah, he had a single arm yeah. punt. They're they're not they're they're tip. They were typically very bad choices, and that yeah. I guess that. Because that is a that is a cognitive thing, and that is what we all say Jared Goff has struggled with, right? Is some of the cognitive part of the game, and so interceptions are to me, at least the ones he's throwing, are are a cognitive issue. The fumbles are 
maybe a physical issue, but but again, it, it's so dependent on the offensive line that considering that we all expect that to improve a lot this year, I'm thinking maybe we see some of that fumble issue slide a little bit. I would also say, too, Eric brought up a great point. The fact is that the Lions are going to look to open up the offense. He's going to throw more picks, but he's also going to throw more touchdowns. That's just what happens when you open up an offense. I still think we're going to run a lot, but I think we're also going to do a lot more play action, a lot more deep threats. That'll be us guys with speed. And so Goff is going to let some slide and probably throw a little more picks. I think it's going to be like 30-15. I think he's actually going to hit 30 touchdowns this year. I really do. 15 is a lot of interceptions, though. Yeah, but I mean, you it, know. If, if, if they are more of that deep shot variety, I think, I think those, yes, are something that you can live with more so than – 10 fumbles on a season for sure. Yeah, as long as they're winning, man, that's all that matters. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but thanks, guys. Appreciate it. No Great problem. work always. Thank you. Uh, Eric, you got one more thing to say before we close things out? Uh, I was just going to point out, like, he, he didn't get pressured a ton last year. Like, he was the second fewest since his rookie season. And so – and he still put the ball on the ground nine times. You know what I mean? Like, for for me, that's that's the big thing is, is – I, I know we can – quantify it as saying like you know how he gets how they how they're credited is you know to him is you know the snap when he's not expecting it he still gets credited with that but he also he gets credited with an interception if a receiver tips the ball to the defender you know what i mean like so i i I do think there is a you have to be cautious when getting stuck on numbers too much you know what i mean and i and i and so I don't want people to to you know the to to get too caught up on on those types of numbers. Yeah, they there's a precedence and and he's got to hold on to the ball more and he's got to be you know more careful with this throwing, but at the same time we also want him to be aggressive and those don't always marry together, right? So that's all that's all I was going to add. Sure, and I'll just add that he was sacked 35 times the most of his career last year. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> hey, where, where, where almost did, 20%, right? I mean, that, that yeah. that's the – again, uh, he, yeah. he was pressured 177 times, but he was sacked 35. Or right. Whereas, like, his what was his worst year in L.A., he was pressured 238 times but only sacked 22. So, you know, it's – yeah, it's – I, I, so no, we, he takes can, an onus for some of that stuff, right? Like he, the spin sure. stuff that, that draw, drives everybody crazy. I, I think the hard part with the, with these is that you can take any statistic and bend it to, to fit your narrative. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Like, and I think we're we're illustrating that right now. <laughs> yeah, like the statistic that I can pull out and say, like, how I mean, did did Jared Goff lead the NFL in throwing the ball away on fourth down? <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to close things up there. Hey, Thank I want to say one last thing. Stuff. Indigo. All right, fine. Never let the party die. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> that, that's going to mean a lot to our podcast people who have no idea who Indigo is. No offense, Indigo. Uh, <laughs> anyways, we're going to close things up there. I'm so, he's, he's never joined the show, has he? He's very active Indigo, in the chat. The you you encourage people to be in the chat oh on Spotify gosh. Live, our Q&A oh. show that we do every Saturday, 10, wow, 10, here 30. Comes Dad Ryan. <laughs> Did he join last week? Okay, I'm an idiot. All right, we're just going to close things out because oh my things God. are going further off the rails. Don't do that to <laughs> me, Ryan. Indigo, I'm sorry. There we go. You have you have a public apology on the PODcast. Never happened before.
Certainly not by me. Uh, but I need to close this out. So everyone shut up. Let me get my dad voice going and say, it's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.